0: Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show helps you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things creative pep talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. So we got our first Factor Meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how Factor Meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low-calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash talk 50 and use code talk 50 to get 50% off. That's code talk 50 at factormeals.com slash talk 50 to get 50% off. Okay, so in every industry there's always the metaphorical cool person that you want to date. Like if you're an illustrator, it might be working with the New York Times. That's like the cool person that everybody wished they could date. Or if you're a musician, it might be a particular record label or a certain music publication. Maybe it's getting best new music on pitchfork.com or maybe if you're a You're a writer. It's a certain publisher that you're just, or a certain book agent, like whatever, everybody, every industry and every creative walk of life. There's always the cool thing, the thing that everybody wants, man. And in this episode, I want to help you. I'm going to be your friend. That's like, I'm going to get you that date. I'm going to help you make that connection. I'm going to help you, uh, attain the thing that you're so desperate to attain. Uh, But it's going to be different than what you think it's going to be, okay? Because I need you to step into unfamiliar territory. You see, growing up, if you're an adult, (laughs) you grew up in a world where creativity was all about this thing where all of a sudden, out of nowhere... Jim Carrey has a new movie that no one's ever heard about, or out of nowhere, they dropped this giant trailer for the new Star Wars, and everyone's flipping out about it, and it's, oh, man, like, right? Like, that's the creativity we were brought up on. But I believe that that type of creativity, if you're just getting started or you're trying to have a big break or you're trying to get unstuck, that is not the way that you need to be thinking about your creativity. On last week's episode, I talked about this concept of writing on stage. And essentially, it's just this idea that you should be making and learning at the same time. You should be making, learning, and acquiring new fans, new attention, all at the same time, all through the process of making and shipping and publishing and getting it out there uh, as often as possible. And... The writing on stage idea comes from comedians who they create their comedy special not by sitting in a dark room alone with all, you know, you know, betting all of their money on this particular idea, take, you know, cashing in their savings on this particular horse that they've got a hunch about. They don't just sit there and think, I know what, I need my comedy special to be about this and I'm going to write 83 jokes and I'm going to go all in on this thing and then I'm going to go sell the tickets, book the director and the camera guy, and we're gonna record this special. No, they don't do that. They say, hmm, I got a few ideas percolating in the back of my mind. I'm gonna show up randomly to a club, and I'm gonna test them out. I'm gonna see which of these authentic ideas has resonance to with my audience. And as I'm up there on stage, I'm gonna write on stage. I'm gonna take some of these ideas, and while I'm making, make adjustments and that's where you get the really good stuff because you get that feedback loop, you get that, um, you can see the reaction on people's faces, and you can see, and ultimately, it doesn't mean that you need to do what they want you to do. It's more like, it helps you achieve, ultimately, what you're attempting to achieve is getting it out there in front of people and getting that kind of feedback. And so, This concept is also something that you see in the marketing world. It's called MVP to PMF, and that sounds way less sexy than writing on stage, and it's gonna be way less palatable to you, but I'll just explain it to you real quick. We talked, again, we talked about this on on last episode, but I wanna go deep dive into this concept because I built my career on this concept, and I think it is such a paradigm shift for creative people because we were brought up in a totally different environment, and we're all, you know, all the creatives worship at the feet of Beyonce and Jordan Peele and Dave Chappelle and these people that do this type of creativity where it's, you know, there's no phones allowed, it's all behind locked doors, and then boom, out of nowhere, this thing shows up in this perfect form, but that is an illusion that's a not the way that creativity happens and b not the way that you should be creating and the reason why is because those people that i just mentioned they already have the ball they already have all of the attention and getting attention get get it grabbing people's attention keeping people's attention that is the long game of a creative career that's the art of a creative business is can you get people's attention and then keep people's attention over time? And these people, Dave Chappelle, Jordan Peele, Beyonce, right now, the ball's in their hand. The shot clock is, uh, the time in the game is running out. You'll have to excuse me, I don't really know the terminology for sports, but I've seen a game or two, and I've seen that, you know, when Michael Jordan knows they're up 10 points and there's two minutes left in the game, he's going to hold the ball as long as possible and only take that perfect shot if it presents itself. Otherwise, he's just going to run out the shot clock, right? And that's what Beyonce and Chappelle and Jordan Peele can do. Why? Because they don't have to think about getting attention. They have to think about keeping attention, stewarding attention, all of us other mortals actually have to be in the game of perpetually growing the amount of people and the attention that we are getting for our work. And we do this not by sitting on ideas, but by writing on stage, by learning through publishing, by never waiting to know whether something's ready, but letting the market decide if it's ready. Publishing your your book on a Kindle, publishing your content on Instagram or uh, medium, and then seeing, did it resonate? Did it get shares? Did it get, did it connect? Did you gain new true fans? And if not, that thing's not ready, take it back to the drawing board. Because if nobody's watching, guess what? Nobody's watching. And so it, you'll be so lucky if one day you publish something before it's ready and people are actually there to notice Like, once you have the ball in your court, then think about that. But until that day, I'm telling you, you won't be ready. You won't know if it's ready until it's out there. And that's the power of writing on stage. Does that make sense? Uh, So, in this episode, here's what I want to do I want to talk to you about some best practices about how to get the most out of the process of learning as you do, learning on the road. And, the, and, and just give you some tactics and te- techniques for exploring that and getting the most out of it, and, and kind of share how I've built my career that way. Because here's the thing if you wait to get on the road when you're ready to slay the dragon at the end of it, you'll be waiting forever because the road is what makes you ready. If you're, I guarantee your normal world. You're sitting on a million great ideas. You're sitting waiting to till you're ready to pitch that publisher. That you know the cool kid, the cool person that you want to date in the school. Uh, you're waiting till it's perfectly ready so you can approach them and in that perfect act of desperation, be like, "Please, will you go out with me? I've I'm totally buff now, and and I've got cool clothes and the perfect hair and." if that person has never heard of you and they, and nobody else in the school has made any connections with you, you're gonna look like the lone weirdo that flew out of the sky out of nowhere and you're not gonna make that connection anyway. And so I want to uh, help you get out on the road, get doing and learning at the same time because it's the journey that turns you into the person that will be able to slay that dragon. And it's not unlike, you know, Imagine you have like this trap that you're trying to now it's getting even weirder you're trying to trap the cool kid in school that you're trying to date it's just weird. this is weird it's uh, but, <laughs> but let's just say you're trying to trap these uh, these opportunities and you're just you just drop this one album on Spotify and it's that's like creating a big hole with like leaves covered over it in the middle of the Amazon uh, like the, the chance that the thing that you're trying to trap is going to somehow stumble upon that is like a billion to one. But instead, if you go to them and you start laying breadcrumbs, that's what this work that you're writing on stage, the stuff that you're always presenting, always publishing, those are the breadcrumbs that you can lead them to the big thing when you're ready to drop it. And so I hope you're in, I hope you're ready to learn this. Let's do it. Real quick, before we get the instructional stuff, I just wanna dispel some possible pushback that you might have on this, just to kinda shoot down anything that's causing you to maybe think, I don't know about this. Let let me just get with you real quick. Um, just a few things. The first thing is, Uh, This isn't about pandering or selling out. Some of you are going to say that, you know, writing on stage and getting feedback from your audience and tapping into what they want is somehow inauthentic. But I'm talking about if you show up with your authenticity into the spaces where people that you want to connect with are and you listen to them, you're only you're not they're not telling you what to say. They're saying they're telling you how to say it in such a way that it resonates and connects and that it's, it registers and you ultimately accomplish what it is you're trying to accomplish. Now, this looks like there's a, uh, there's an episode where Joe Rogan is interviewing Russell Brand. Russell Brand is a real interesting character, someone who I'm, uh, highly interested in as a, as a creative person. And they have kind of, they kind of Duke it out about this idea of writing on stage and I think Joe kind of educates Russell on you know the good sides of it and Russell pushes back but ultimately I find I think they find a really happy medium which is you want to you don't want to take feedback from everybody you're not just trying to get the internet's approval what you're trying to do is show up with an authentic offering with a clear goal in mind of what you how you want to connect with a certain type of people and show up where they congregate and so show up to the comedy clubs where people like the people you want to connect with uh congregate those are the places where you want to write on stage because you don't want to pander to everybody you don't want to stand up there and get on stage and say all right, tell me what you guys think is funny. Like, no, that's not what I'm talking about at all. And I think ultimately this idea of whether you're pandering or selling out or being inauthentic because you're listening to your audience, I think there's something here going on in this impact versus glory idea, right? If you're, which which is your ultimate, achievement as a creative person are you trying to create an impact are you trying to change hearts connect with hearts bring us together or are you trying to be celebrated and worshipped i think there's a i mean i I put a much higher premium on impact than I do glory. I think uh, glory is actually missing the point of creativity. Glory says, I'm set apart from you. We are different. I'm better than you. I'm creating a hierarchy. I don't think anybody wants to consume creativity from someone like that. I think ultimately what we want is impact. And I think that comes from not saying I'm different than you, but saying me too, before you even realized you too. And what I mean by that is I went to breakfast with my friend, Chris Graham, who I share a studio with, and uh, we were talking the first time we ever met, talking, blabbering away. And I started a sentence with, you know, I have ADHD, too, and blah, 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 blah. And he was like, wait, I never told you I had ADD or ADHD, uh, but I do. (laughs) And I think ultimately that is the job of the creative person is to say, hey, guys, me, too. Before you even know before the audience even knows them to and to basically call out things about us things about who we are and what it means to be human that we didn't even notice that we didn't even see and go excavate this self exploration and this self actualization and self transcendence before the audience does so the audience can use that material as identity shorthand. You know, the things that you're into, the bands, the musicians, the comics, ultimately, it's something about self-actualization where you say, these are the things that identify that I identify with. This is who I am. You know, a 21 Pilots true fan is saying, This is me. This is what I'm like. And I haven't had the time or the skill to actually self-actualize to the degree of that musician or artist or comedian, but they did it for me and it gave me a shortcut into understanding myself. Does that make sense? Which means it's not about saying I'm different than you. It's about saying me too. And so you need to get in front of people and to get your stuff in front of people to know whether it's resonating on that level. And the second thing that I think that, uh, um, this idea is one thing that you could push back on is no one is like us. Uh, like there's a myth that says, you know, I'm a creative person and I'm completely and utterly original. I'm completely singular. And I would say that actually our job is not to, set, not to be completely out there on our own and completely different than anything the world has ever seen. I'd argue our job is to be the leader of a new group that didn't know it existed, didn't know it was a group. There's a line from Kanye West in All Falls Down where he says, yeah, I'm self-conscious. Uh, I don't, dang it, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't write it down. But he says, uh, we're all self-conscious. I'm just the first to admit it. And that's ultimately your job is to go search through this, these, this self-actualization, understand yourself better than we understand ourselves. What does it mean to be a person in 2019 from your perspective and mind that and not say, look, I'm having a human experience that's unlike anybody's. No, that's called being an alien and we are not going to connect to that or celebrate it or be excited about it. What we're going to celebrate is you telling us something about ourselves that we never knew. And the third reason why you might sit on your ideas and not bring them to the surface is because you're afraid people will steal it or share it before it's ready. But like I said, they're only going to share it when it's ready. When it resonates, and and guess what? Like, think about this. How many albums do you know, the best albums of all time, actually don't have high levels of fidelity? Again, back to my buddy Chris Graham. He's an audio engineer, and we're always talking and, and chopping it up about uh, fidelity versus chemistry, and that there—it's a very delicate balance between technical precision and perfection. Fidelity versus chemistry of the magic of creativity where the sauce is there and it's connecting and it's deep and it's resonant and you can feel that authenticity. Like that's the stuff, right? And fidelity always has to serve that chemistry. There's a hierarchy there. And ultimately, if your thing is not technically ready, it might be ready on a visceral chemical level. And when it is, people will share it. And guess what? Sharing, attention, getting people's eyeballs on your stuff, that's worth its weight in gold. There's not a commodity on this planet that's more scarce than people's attention. And you would be so lucky if they shared it before it was ready, if they shared it at all. And if they are sharing it, it is ready, even if it's technically not precise. And then when it comes to stealing, look, people are going to steal your good ideas. And I'm not on, I'm not telling you that's Okay. And if someone one-to-one steals your idea, which is kind of all you can ever, like, even if you perfectly, precisely drop your album and, and, and it's technically perfect and it's exactly what you wanted to be, if someone, someone can still steal it then and they can steal it then. And if they have a bigger platform than you, they might get more out of that thing. But if it's not a one-to-one copy, you're going to have a hard time prosecuting them or getting even the internet on your side. And so whether it's ready or not, if there's a one-to-one copy, you can do something about it if you so choose. But this idea that you need to wait until it's perfect before you drop it so that when you drop it, it will be perfect and unstealable, or if someone steals it, then you can call them on it, like that's just not a valid argument. And I would say never sit on ideas because you're afraid that someone will steal them because the th- the other thing is Liz Gilbert has this idea, which, you know, it's a framework that might be a lie, but it's a really helpful one. It's a re- it's a good way of thinking and talking about something kind of mystical. In terms of the zeitgeist and ideas, she says that ideas basically show up to somebody, and if you don't do them, they'll go on to somebody else. They're like a mystical entity that will show up on someone else's doorstop who will act on it. You don't know how many times you know something I'm working on just happened to me. I was working on it the first part of the year, and this company came out with virtually the exact same idea that I was going to come out with. And, uh, you know, so, I think I can either do my own version of it or I can just be like, you know what? I'm glad that thing exists in the world. Now I don't have to do it. Right? But ultimately, the the cultural zeitgeist and your connection to being a person, the particular way that you're being. Like there's a lot of people kind of like you and they're probably feeling the same things as you and actually it's the it's often the person that acts on it before, the person that's willing to write on stage is the one that's going to get the momentum anyway. So, this garbage that what if someone steals it what if someone shares it Bull. just get it out there last one what if uh, what if I put it out there and it's not ready and no one likes it well guess what if no one's like it no one likes it no one's paying attention to it and you get a whole redo you get to go if, if you put out a podcast episode and you're like I think this is a really good idea and you put it out there and it falls flat guess what you can you can do it again, and if it's great, then it'll resonate. There's just no excuse for it. Get on stage and get writing. So, like I said, number one, the first thing you got to think about to get the most out of your writing on stage, to be making and publishing work as a means to A, create, B, learn, C, gain momentum with your audience to, to capture the attention of more and more people. The first thing you've got to do is focus on location, location, location. If I was a real, unsufferable, pedantic person, I would have made step one, location, step two, location, step three, location. But it's true, location. And here's what I mean by that. So Gary Vaynerchuk, he talks about the native language of a platform. So you can think about each app or each uh, company or whatever uh, is like a country, And they all start with a native language. It's very difficult for that country to change its mother tongue. Like it's really rare that a country is going to go from speaking Japanese to speaking English or vice versa, right? Like that's just not going to happen. And the same goes for the apps. Like Instagram, what it likes is photos. It likes photos. It likes video. It likes uh, and it needs to be. Now there's there you can break the rule there are exceptions to the rules you can do interesting things within the rules but generally the native language of Instagram is visual content started with curated photography right the idea is it was birthed from a time when Facebook, people would go on there and unravel their entire camera roll from the night before, like 35 photos of their sweet party that nobody cares about, and nobody wants to see your blurry, weird photos of you doing a keg stand. No, not interesting. Instagram sparked during that time because we were needed a refreshing feed that looked great, that felt nice, where people took the time to actually curate the best of the 35 photos from the party before and even maybe make it artistic set a nice uh, bouquet of flowers next to the kegs keg stand you know create a little still life nice composition of you in the rule of thirds on top stood on you know doing a headstand on the keg like like that's what we wanted from Instagram not much has changed even you know I've noticed that and I do some of this too because I've noticed it and I'm gonna use my own I'm you know, smoking my own supply here. That's what I always try to do on this show is make sure I prove my concepts in real time by practicing what I preach and the idea that I realize that a lot of illustrators that succeed on Instagram are actually illustrating on photos or doing uh illustrated or animated things over video. And I think that has a lot to do with like that's the native language of Instagram. And so here's what I want you to ask yourself. Where are the people that you're trying to reach? Where do they exist? You know, this idea is something I've thought a lot about recently. I heard it from the book. Uh, it's a story structure book called *The Writer's Journey* by Christopher Vogler. He basically simplified the uh, Joseph Campbell's the hero's journey, but for screenwriting and and story structure. And he talks about how there's a point in the story where often the heroes will get into the skin of the enemy to kind of think like they think or get behind enemy lines. And you see this in Wizard of Oz when they attack the guards and break into the witch's castle. You see it uh, with stormtroopers where Luke and Han become stormtroopers, like getting into the enemy skin. So... Now, your audience is not your enemy. Those are your friends. Those are the people you want to connect with. That's the cool girl at school or the cool person at school that you're trying to date. Uh, they're not your enemy, but you have to get into their mindset and think, where did they discover new things? Where are they camping out? And you need to go publish and, and, and ship stuff to there right on stage. Move your product in there as often as possible and here's the here's the shift that i want you to make first of all yeah i'm sure everybody wants a million freaking followers on instagram and it all make us it'll all make us happy won't it cuz once we get 50,000 uh, followers on instagram andy then then you'll be complete uh <laughs> But every, you know, the truth is I have friends that have 500,000 and they're thinking about the people that have a million. So it's a lie, right? So forget about it, right? And by the way, if you're not a visual artist, maybe you're not needing to think about Instagram. If you are a musician, you need to be thinking about Spotify. And I want you to make a shift in your mind. So I want you to think about... We think about Spotify and Kindle as distribution channels, but we think about Instagram and Twitter as billboards. And this is a Gary Vaynerchuk thing, too, is like they're all both. are all, all of these social channels are billboards and they are distribution channels. They are like NBC, ABC, you know. Uh, NPR, they are the thing that's getting your thing out there. And you can actually design your content. If you're a visual artist and you're not making Instagram posts to exist, tailor-made, to succeed on Instagram, to live on the gallery that is Instagram, you're doing it wrong. If you're thinking that Instagram is a billboard that points to the real thing, you're getting it wrong. Because it's not about uh, its not about selling, it's not about uh, getting that, Giant uh, publisher. it's not it's not about any of that. It's about connection. It's about how, where are these people's attention? Get into their skin. Think about how they discover stuff and show up there. So when it comes to Instagram and Twitter, you need to stop thinking of those as billboards pointing to the real thing, your books or your shop or whatever, and think of it as this is the thing. This is NPR, and I get to have my own radio show on it. So create content for those social platforms. But then again, on Spotify and Kindle, maybe quit thinking of those as distribution channels and think of them as social media. Have you ever thought about Spotify is a social media platform for musicians? It is where you can write on stage, not just to publish what you do and create, but to learn what people are consuming and to also acquire new audience members, just like you gain followers on other platforms. And so you will see people. There's a guy named Matt Farley. I love this guy. I hope to have him on the show one day. He's published over 20 Thousand songs on Spotify under a bunch of different names. He's got a ridiculous amount of plays. He has a middle class income or a, a work, at least a working class income on music by publishing over 20,000 songs on Spotify. And the, he has a band called the Hungry Food Band, where every song that he puts out is just about a different type of food. He's got a pretzel song. My friend Andrew Nyer showed me this song, and uh, it is freaking amazing. And it goes, uh, well, I'm not going to sing it to you. You've got to go check it out, the pretzel song by the Hungry Food Band. But this guy's making a living by using Spotify as a social platform, right? By writing on stage. And then there are people out there who have Sarah Hawking. There's this uh, author. She makes her living writing these novels, self-published novels, making great money using Kindle as not only a distribution channel, but as a way to acquire new attention, by as a social media platform, by publishing her books that way. And the story's amazing. There's a link in the show notes to this Guardian article where she found out that the Muppets were going to have this uh, this exhibit on Henson and Chicago, but it was like a three-hour drive away. She didn't have gas money, but what she did have was like six books on her hard drive that had been turned down by a million publishers, and she decided she needed like 300 books, bucks, and she thought, I'm going to publish all these books, self-publish them on Kindle, and I'm going to try to do a campaign to raise the money to go see this exhibit. And the Muppets saved her life, just like they saved my life in a million different ways. And, uh, you know, yeah, (laughs) you know, I'm a crazy Henson fan. Uh, But she raised that money and more. It became her full-time job. She sold Thousands of copies made a great living out of it. And she did it by using Kindle not just as distribution, but as an uh, An ability to acquire new people and so if you want to get into books If you want to write books, maybe publish a bunch of short stories on Kindle You can do that right now and and uh, and and see where the get into their skin Look at where they're looking look at the genres they're looking at Get next to them. Get in proximity to the people, to the bands that you want to uh, be like and connect with and get out there and start publishing that stuff. Number two, the second thing you need to do to gain the momentum by writing on stage to get that HBO special, if you will, to get that Comedy Central special uh, to use writing on stage to get there. The second thing you got to do is dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Now, this is essentially fake it till you make it, but there requires zero lying. There's no pretending. There's no, uh, it's not manipulative. It's not anything, but it's literally dressing for the job you want, not the job you have. Here's what I want you to know. My kid's book agent and the publisher that published my first properly published on a on a big publisher um publisher <laughs> that publisher <laughs> i said publisher like 17 times uh that publisher both of them did not realize that i only have one properly published kids book uh both when i was in the middle of making my first properly published kids book I was asking some questions and the publisher asked was like, wait, is this the first kids book you ever worked on? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, uh, what? (laughs) And the same exact same thing happened to my agent. My agent said, uh, can you give me like the sales numbers on your previous books? And I'm like, well, I just had this one come out uh, and you know, I don't have exact figures on that. And she was like, wait a second. (laughs) Do you just have one book? one published book and I was like yeah and the reason is is because I have several self published or nearly self published kids books that look just as good as proper kids' books that are published by a major publisher, and that was me dressing for the job I want, not the job I have. I believe that if you're going to get that HBO special, if you're going to get that publisher, if you're going to get that record label, you've got to do everything in your power to look as though you already have it, to just show yourself as someone who can prove your worth. And so, when you self publish this book, if you aren't handy at making book covers, don't just type Helvetica on Word and then publish it that way. You need to get that person you know that has uh, those skills to do a proper version of that book cover and pay them. And what you could do, you're not going to have, maybe you don't have tons of money to pay them, but you could pay them for their time right now and create a contract that includes usage that says, look, I'm going to pay you X amount of dollars to create this cover, my friend, maybe it's 100 bucks, maybe it's 200 bucks, whatever, um, and say, if you'll just make this thing for me, and then I'll make a, an agreement that says, if I sell over 100 copies of this, you will get X amount of dollars. If I sell over 1,000, if I sell over 3,000, if I sell other 7,000, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000, whatever thousand, maybe it's a million, whatever, you put it in the contract, and you can even, you know, whatever, you can put all that in there, but... Dressing for the job you want, not the job you have, is essential to landing that deal. And so you've got to, you know, I think about it this way. Coffee versus the cup. Like creatives, we get obsessive. We're grinding the beans perfectly. We're sourcing them ethically. We're roasting them. We're just getting them ever so perfectly ground to the right setting and just oh, the most beautiful thing in the world and we get this essence, this beautiful thing that's the perfect thing and we put it in a dirty styrofoam cup and we're like, here, taste it, it's delicious and you're like, no You've got to sell it, man. You've got to put it in the, the perfect mug that accentuates the flavor and the design and the aesthetics so that they get the right smell coming off of it. you got to think about the cup that you're putting it into. It's not enough to just draw the right way. You've got to put it next to some text. you got to print it out. you got to send it to them in the form that you want to get hired for you got to sell it to them, man. It's not just about the essence. It's about the cup. And then some of you guys need to think about, you might just be mug salesmen. If you're too obsessed with personal brand, you're too obsessed with uh, dressing for the job you want, not the job you have, that's my dog. You hear my dang dog? Madison, why? I'm here recording, and you come in here shaking like a maniac. She's looking at me. She's ashamed of herself. Now I feel bad. This is the real dirt behind the scenes. I'm going to leave this in for you guys, just so you guys can say hi to Madison. Let's see if she'll sniff the microphone. No, she won't, because she's ashamed of herself, because she's made a fuss. All right, go on, dog. Go on. (laughs) That's my dog. That's my dog. Boop, boop. Yeah. Anyway. You got to think about it. You can't just think, you can't, if you get too obsessed with personal brand, too obsessed with the sale, too obsessed with the pitch, then you don't have any essence. Now you're just going around your mug salesman, right? And you got to have both to have a coffee shop, to have the full thing in order, but you got to think about dressing for the job you want, not just the job you have.
1: Hello friends, Lauren Hom here. Some of you may know me as Hom Sweet Hom on Instagram, and I'm a hand lettering artist who's pretty much exclusively used personal projects to build her career. You could spend weeks or months thinking about what you should make or what your audience would like best, but the truth is, you never know until you try it out. Since I'm a big believer in learning by doing, like Andy is, I wanted to share three tips to help you start doing. Okay, so maybe you have lots of ideas, but you're not sure which one to pursue. Not to worry. My first tip is this. Make the kind of work that you and your best friends love. Not only will it be infinitely more fun to work on, but if it's interesting to you, it'll most likely be interesting to other people just like you. And trust me, there are thousands of people out there who like what you like, thanks to the Internet. Have a wine and cheese night with your pals and ask them what they think about your ideas and which ones resonate with them the most. I recently came up with a funny way to test if my ideas have good share potential. I call it the group text test. I don't know about you, but me and my best friends have this crazy long group text chat where we keep in touch and share random things with each other. Some people have this with their family and coworkers too. Whenever I come up with an idea, I think to myself, if I saw this out in the wild, would I feel the urge to text it to one of my friends? I also think, If my best friend or someone who knew me really well saw this randomly on the internet, would they text it to me or want to tell me about it? This isn't the definitive test for good ideas, but it tends to lend me some insight into how shareable an idea might be. If you found yourself saying, but Lauren, that's great and all, but I don't have any ideas to bounce off of friends yet, then tip number two is for you. Be your own client. A great way to find a project is to examine your own wants and needs and figure out how to make it happen, basically taking yourself on as your own client. When you get hired by a client, you're helping to solve their problems. Think about all of the skills that you use daily to help clients reach their goals. Take your personal goals you want to reach and problems you want to solve in your own life, imagine it's your creative brief, and then take yourself on as your own client. I used this exact strategy to start doing paid chalkboard lettering in 2014. I had been doing lettering for about two years and felt like I wanted to expand my portfolio. So I came up with the Will Letter for Lunch project. The concept was simple. I went around to New York City restaurants and offered to redo their chalkboard signs in exchange for the exact menu items I lettered. So if I lettered a sign that said dumplings, I would get paid in dumplings. Spaghetti, I would get paid in spaghetti. You get it. Within a few months of lettering for lunch, building my chalk portfolio, and the word spreading about the project, I started to pivot the project into paid work. I only allowed myself to do one barter chalkboard per week, and since I was in such demand at this point, I used it as leverage for pay instead of just barter. It started with restaurants who wanted me to come back and do another sign for them, then it progressed to doing larger A-frame menus, and then it turned into large-scale chalkboard murals for businesses. As I kept building up my chalkboard portfolio, bigger commercial clients even started to take notice. Within a year, I went from having zero chalk lettering experience and getting paid in cheeseburgers to booking work for clients like Samuel Adams, Chobani, and Microsoft, and getting paid in real money, which is nice, you know, for bills and stuff. Before I started with Letter for Lunch, I used to look at chalkboard lettering and think to myself, wow, that's so cool. I wish someone would pay me to do that. Well, they couldn't pay me to do it if I didn't have any of it in my portfolio, right? Just the way you wouldn't let someone cut your hair if they didn't have any photographic evidence of previous haircuts they've done. But instead of accepting the fact that I had no chalk experience or waiting for a client to maybe give me a chance, I decided to be my own client and created a project to help me test out and reach my goals. Of course, not every project you make will be a smashing success, so this last tip I want to leave you with is this. Look at everything you make or do as an experiment. I recently saw my friend Adam JK say in a presentation, it's only a failure if you never try again. And I couldn't agree more. Everything I make, I see as a strategic art experiment. And I know that at the very least, I'll learn something valuable for next time. And there's nothing stopping me from creating again and again. I want to tell you about one of my projects that flopped, but that I don't consider a failure because I learned. It was called 26 Letters, 26,000 Miles, and it was a series of nine hand-lettered travel quotes that I sold as posters to try to raise some money for a year-long trip I was planning around the world. I named it after the number of letters in the alphabet and roughly the number of miles in the circumference of the earth. Basically, I thought it was brilliant, and my goal was to raise $20,000. I launched my project six months before my travels and only ended up making about $4,000 by the time I was ready to leave. Womp womp. By no means was I complaining about making that amount of money, but I had set my expectations so high that it felt like a failure by comparison. I had spent about a month designing all of the artwork and I was so sure that the posters would sell like hotcakes, but they didn't. But I learned a valuable lesson. Now the really interesting thing about this project is that last minute I decided to add a donate button at the bottom of the page because there was an option in the template I was using. So why not, I figured. I thought that maybe there was one or two people out there who didn't have space on their wall for a poster but wanted to support me anyways. When I checked the numbers at the end of the project, I was really surprised to find out that almost half of the money I had raised had come from donations instead of poster sales. I didn't know whether to be happy that my audience wanted to support me or offended that half of them didn't want my artwork on their walls. But this taught me two things. One, my people wanted to support my work but my people didn't necessarily want posters. Was I offering the wrong product then? If I wasn't trying to make money with this travel poster project, then maybe the poor sales wouldn't have mattered. But since I was, the poor sales of this project and all the other posters I had done in the past taught me that prints of my work were just not moving the needle on my business. If at the very least you create work that you're excited about, then no passion project or self-promotion is a waste of time, even if the outcome doesn't meet your expectations. I put the project in my portfolio and posted the images on social media every once in a while. Over the next year, I was hired multiple times to letter projects in a similar style, and I even licensed the artwork to three different companies. Something good will always come out of it, even if that's just a learned lesson, a new portfolio piece, or a boost in confidence because you simply saw something to completion. In addition to all of those things, that failed project made me realize all of the previous posters I had made in the past hadn't sold very well either. But, things like workshops were selling really well. So, taking these metrics into consideration, I stopped putting time into making more posters and doubled down on teaching workshops and online classes. Not only am I excited about these classes, but they've grown my business in ways that posters and physical products never had. And I wouldn't have arrived at this discovery unless I had learned from the flopped travel poster project. I now teach classes about lettering and marketing, and if you haven't heard by now, my most popular class, Passion to Paid, just opened for enrollment from today until May 17th. It's a five-week online course that teaches you my step-by-step process for creating and launching a passion project, aka experiment, of your own. If you enjoyed the stories and tips I shared with you here, I think you'll love the video lessons, workbooks, live Q&A sessions, and creative community that the class offers. I hope to see you there.
0: In most good stories, what happens is there's a character that wants something, and they, it's, you know, it's the character that wants the publishing deal, wants the record deal, wants that music publication to cover their story, to, you know, whatever it is, this giant thing that they want. And, you know, it's the it's the girl in high school who wants the coolest guy in school to date her and she's desperate for it. She knows it's what she wants. And uh, she, her, her buddy, Rick, Rick's helping her make these strategic moves to be in the right place at the right time and finally land that day and get what she ultimately wants. And so Rick helps her do all these schemes and, and come up, concoct all these ideas to be at the right place at the right time and then finally about... Two thirds into the movie, she does it. She gets a date with Gavin. <laughs> it's always Gavin, and she goes to Applebee's. She shows up. She's in her best attire. But guess what? All Gavin wants to talk about is Madden for PS4. Is it PS? I don't know which PlayStation we're on, but all he's talking about is like, you got, oh, you got to check out my Final Fantasy. <laughs> I'm fantasy football. That's how much of a nerd I am. I went to say fantasy football, and I said Final Fantasy. And if I'm this girl on this date, I'm thinking, fantasy football, shoot me now, no. And you, so you start making some jokes, trying to find a connection, and ultimately they fall on deaf ears. Gavin's got no sense of humor, and all he does is play fantasy football. And it hits her like a ton of bricks. Because she knew what she wanted, and she got it. And when she got it, she realized what she wanted wasn't what she needed. Right? And I'm going to tell you this. If you write on stage, you play your cards right, guess what? You might just get what you want. You might just get a chance for that publishing deal. You might get that record deal. You might you might land that once-in-a-lifetime dream client. But I know what's going to happen to you. You're going to be there in that boardroom, in that meeting, and it's going to be just like sitting in Applebee's. And you're going to have everything that you've ever wanted. And then you're going to realize that it's not what you needed you're going to realize that Rick and the connection you had with him, that's the thing that you didn't know you wanted. You didn't know that you needed and you've had it from the beginning. And the same is true for you right now. You think you want the accolade. You think you want the reward. You think you want the glory when all you want is a connection with your audience. And you know what that takes? it takes making the work showing up and getting it out there and guess what there are people on spotify right now bored out of their minds with the same old tunes scouring waiting to discover something that you've got you think you want this giant record deal and all you need is to connect with your audience and you have everything you need you've always had everything you need to make what you gotta make and show up into the places where they are rick's been there the whole time man just look at him all you got you take off those glasses and bam he's a heartthrob you've got it You're gonna get that publishing deal and you're gonna realize that they they publish 100 books and they only need for one to succeed. So they're not pouring the energy and time to do what it takes to get that book to actually connect to an audience. The same goes for a record label, same goes for uh, an agent. It's all, they're not all out there giving, they're not gonna give you what you think you want. They're not gonna give you what you need. And so, Yeah, go for it. Make the work right on stage. Get your HBO special. But ultimately know that the thing that you're making this art for, the reason you're compelled to create at all, that thing that you're so desperate for, it's not accolades, it's connection. And you can achieve that today. All you got to do is push print. All you got to do is make the thing and ship it. Make the thing and ship it. And if you keep doing that, you might not get what you want. But I do think you're going to get what you need. This episode, Ooh, the episode blew your socks off and, uh, yeah, got you pumped about making stuff again. And, uh, yeah, I feel really good about this one. I think it's a, it's a, uh, I hope it connects. You know what I'm saying? Um, hey, don't forget peppassion paidcom Signing up, doing this class, it'll impact it'll give back and support creative pep talk but also lauren's a superstar she's almost got like two hundred thousand followers on instagram she is the legit stuff and she uh here's the thing she's a lettering artist but she also has her toes in all kinds of different pools and her marketing prowess and knowledge can apply to all kinds of things i've seen her Really level up people who make products, people who make animation, uh, all over it. And uh, you are not going to be disappointed. And I highly recommend. Uh, you know, maybe you can't go to art school. Maybe you can't. Maybe you can't afford to do that, or go back to art school. But these kinds of connections and these kinds of education, this is how you get where you want to go. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Can't, can't not speak highly enough of. Lauren so go check it out pep.passion2paid.com opens today use promo code PEP10 all caps PEP10 for 10% off and it closes May 17th don't risk forgetting about it go check it out Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Go listen to the Creative Pep Talk original soundtrack, volume one on Spotify or Apple Music. That is some good gravy. I listen to it all the time. You might be like, you listen to your own soundtrack? I didn't make it, okay? I'm celebrating Alex's incredible decision-making. He made this thing sound so good. Go check it out. Great work music, instrumental stuff to work to. It feels epic and... Uh, spooky and all kinds of good stuff Alex Sugg and thanks to Chris Graham on mastering this show uh, making it sound so flavorful till we speak again stay pepped up